All right, we're in 1 Peter. We're now in chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to go right to the text here this morning, beginning in verse 1. Just three verses this morning we're going to look at. Peter writes here, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Let's pray again. Our God, as we open up your book, we first and foremost recognize that it is your word. And Lord, we thank you that we have it here. We pray, Lord, it would be something we desire above anything else. And Lord, I pray even this morning as we are gathered here, that as we look at this text that is before us, Father, you would impress upon our hearts the needs to, first of all, taste that the Lord is good and gracious and know him personally, but Lord, also to put away all evil behavior. And we ask, Lord, that we would help, uh, you would help us in that area. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The title of this morning's message is uh, Milk, It Does a Body Good. Now, that, that's not original. If you live back in the 1980s, and that's when I kind of, uh, my teen years, and I graduated in 1988. I can't believe that's 30 years ago already. But, uh, and it goes fast, ladies, just so you know, all right? Um, it really does. And I had more hair then as well. But uh, I'll tell you, uh, the, back in the 1980s, there was this uh, milk commercial, and it used to have people, we you know, working out and all that, and it would say, milk, it does a body good, you know? And you got this idea that you should drink milk. Well, Peter, uh, the apostle here, also has that same kind of phrase here. He talks about desiring milk. And we're going to come to that, okay? A little bit different. We're not talking so much about cow's milk, but uh, we're talking about the milk of the Word of God and the sustenance and nutrition spiritually that it brings for us. And we're going to look at that uh, in a moment here as we go down through. Now, this text here, chapter 2, and remember, in your Bible, and as we study verse by verse and go through Scripture, Sometimes um, you get the idea that the chapter divisions are inspired, and well, the chapter divisions are not necessarily inspired, okay? They, were, they came many years after the Bible was comp- uh, compiled. Originally, this was written as one letter, and it was written to the scattered believers, and they're named right there in chapter 1 in the opening verse of where and, and specifically to whom, uh, and of course, by default, really, it's to believers of every age in every direction, Okay. And that's why Peter writes this book, and it was included in the canon of Scripture early on. And we get to this uh, section here, and he starts with this word, therefore. And as a, as a good student of the Bible, I know many of you are, when you come to the word, therefore, what's the question that you should ask? What's it there for? Okay? Uh, you start something with therefore, you have to presuppose there's already been something laid down beforehand. And beforehand, there was. You remember in the section previous to this, and you could say the whole chapter previous to this, Peter writes and he talks about the trying of our faith and why trials come. Very appropriate song that we just sang previous to this. Because the trying of our faith and trials and persecution, and the early church was going through many of those things, as that happened, it, it helped purify those of the faith, so to speak. Because sometimes... People would gather and they would claim to be Christians, but they really weren't. They were just there for maybe some of the 
the community aspect of it, perhaps, right? I mean, if you think about it, a church and, and the organization of a church and just its organizational structure offers some of that. It offers sense of community. It offers a, a sense of you know, fellowship in that way. But it doesn't mean that everybody that comes into a church or sits down in a pew somewhere or a chair or wherever is actually one that has tasted of the Lord by experience. Uh, that is something you have to do yourself. Years ago, the, one of the songwriters, I think it was Keith Green, he said that uh, in one of his uh, opening statements to a song, he said that um, going to church does not make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. And that's true, isn't it? You, you can't just, you're not just a Christian because you went to church. You're a Christian because the Bible and the word Christian means Christ-like one. It means that you should be like Christ and first you have to partake of Christ. How do you do that? You do that by faith, by trusting Him. And He'll forgive you your sins and He'll, he'll put you in a totally different path. One that ends in, with a, a glorious estate of heaven. And that's the hope of the Christian. Well, right before this section of Scripture in chapter 1, and we looked at this last time we were in First Peter a couple weeks ago, he says, since you have purified your souls, verse 22 of uh, the previous chapter says since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren love one another fervently with a pure heart and you remember peter emphasizes the aspect of a sincere which means uh, without hypocrisy and purity a holy walk and a holy calling and that means to be different and for the christian we are called to be different we're really called to be people that would live in a world and as peter identifies these uh, scattered believers he calls them strangers and pilgrims they were strangers in a world in this world honestly if you're close to the lord and you follow him you realize that the world in all its system it really isn't our home it never does feel totally at home here someday it will someday we will be at home because we'll be with him and that's the only time it'll really feel like home with him okay but for now, this world is not our home. We're strangers. We're pilgrims. A pilgrim is on a, someone who's on a journey and he expects to get somewhere, you know, and that's what Christians do. We're on a journey, my friends. And the end of that journey uh, is really what matters. I've often heard people say, it's really the journey that matters. Well, no, it, that's part, that's important. But listen, the big important thing is what happens at the end of the journey, okay? Every single one of us should be concerned about that most of all. Well, uh, I want to just look at a few things here because Peter talks about purifying, okay? And then he goes to start chapter 2 and he says, Therefore, all right, if you claim you have a purified heart and you're doing it without hypocrisy, you've trusted Christ, you're being born again, he uses that term earlier on, right? He says, Lay aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, right? Envy and all evil speaking. He lists there some sins, and these aren't fun sins to talk about, are they? But they're ones that, boy, they hit close to home. I have to say that. And when I say it, I don't mean you guys. I mean me. Because it's easy to have malice in your heart. Malice is when you want to harm someone else, either in word or in deed. And there are people today who are sitting home and they are stewing over something and they want to get back at somebody. And somebody said, revenge is sweet, isn't it? Well, guess what? There's something sweeter than revenge. It's the Lord. 
And may I encourage you, as Peter does here later on, taste Him and understand who He is and the joy that He has. And I'll tell you, the forgiveness He offers is far greater than the malice that can produce, be produced in the human heart. And, and some of you may say, well, you know, I've never acted on that malice. I, I, maybe I don't, there's people in my life or people in my past that I would like to see something bad happen to them, but, but I've never acted on that. Well, you know what? Christ said that if you hate your brother, that you've already committed murder in your heart. Wow. He means this, that God looks down not on the actions alone. He looks at the heart. I don't know. That doesn't make me very comfortable. It shouldn't make you comfortable either. You know why? Because when we can sit here and in smugness and say, well, look at me. I look good. I dressed up this morning. I put on a little extra perfume, whatever, you know, combed my hair if you have some, you know, all that stuff. You could say that, but you know what? That doesn't amount to a hill of beans because Christ looks right into the heart and he sees us as we really are. He sees what we're like alone when no one else. He knows what we think. That's what the Bible talks about and the, the doctrine associated that with is his, his omniscience. That he's all-knowing. God knows everything. And when we get a hold of that and understand it, then we start realizing that he's a big God and I can't run from him. I can't hide from him. You can try to put him out of your mind, but he'll never put you out of his mind. He says, put away or lay aside. And that word to lay aside means to cast off your dirty clothes. That's the Greek word that is used there. I like that. I remember as a kid, probably it's happened since then as well, but uh, as a kid I'd come home and sometimes I'd been out fishing or something. And, you know, if, to get to the real good fishing spot, sometimes you've got to go where no one else goes, right? That means sometimes sloshing through a beaver dam, you know, mud up to your waist and, you know, going that kind of down over thing, through things and find some little trout pond that nobody else has fished for a while and, and you get the best fish. But I'd come home and I'd be so proud. I got these fish and I'd come home and my mother would look at me and she'd say, before you even take another step, you take those clothes off. Because I'd be covered with mud or sticks or other things and, you know, didn't smell so good probably, all that. And I thought I was doing a good work there, but she would say, take those dirty clothes right off. And she would make me strip on the porch sometimes. You know, don't get that image in your head. But anyways, <laughs> but anyway, you know, that's, that's what she would do. And I'd have to go in that way and, and, and quickly find some clean clothes. And you know what? Yeah, of course. Well, you know, but sometimes. It was summer, you know. <laughs> we, we get away with it and swam a lot. But listen, sometimes... You have to take off the dirty clothes. And you know what? The Bible says that in numerous places in the New Testament, Old Testament as well. But in, uh, in the New Testament, Paul the Apostle says, uh, you know, put off the works of the evil works of the flesh. Put on Christ. One of the great things is that Christ will never leave you naked, okay, spiritually. If he tells you to put something off, he'll put something on you that's far better. And that's the great really the great thing and the world by the way can't do that it, it can kind of copy it somewhat and counterfeit it but like any counterfeit it lacks true value i think of that because you can go to a church and and be religious and you can do certain things and you can dress up in a suit or some other clothes whatever you want to do it again that's not the emphasis here and i hope it never is you know the outward but i'll tell you this some people say that's all I need to do is change a little bit on the outside. But if the inside is rotten, <laughs> you're still rotten, okay? It's the way it is. 
And that's why he says, lay aside, strip off. Lay aside those filthy works, those evil things. And then he says, all deceit. And deceit is just that. Deceit is, is when we, and the word deceit there, the Greek word that's used is the idea to bait a hook. And Roland had a good message on that about, a while back on fishing. He always works in fishing on his messages. I did too today, I guess. So we're, we're going to have to, we're both in the same boat. Ah, there we go. Oh, there we go. But listen, uh, you know what? I look at that, I think that's baiting the hook. Deceit. What do you do to catch a fish? You have to deceive that fish. Because a fish doesn't wake up in the morning and go, I can't wait to get hooked and brought out of this lake or pond or whatever else. They don't think that far ahead, I don't think. But anyways, they, they, we have to deceive them. Well, it's possible for the Christian or someone who professes Christ even, but they aren't really a Christian, to deceive people. And you know what? I think of that in, in the context of, I said, pray for our, our young people and those in our, in our school now, and, and not just the folks here in our church, but listen, pray for this generation growing up because the world is full of all kinds of deceits. It's full of all kinds of glamorous, glorious things that promise everything and deliver nothing. And that's where the scripture comes in because it gives us wisdom and discernment that's beyond what the world can give us. And I encourage uh, certainly our grads and others and anybody in this room and everybody in, within the voice of my, or the sound of my voice, listen, if you want to make good decisions in this world, you look to Christ, look to God, look to the, our Heavenly Father who gives us His Word. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is just that as well. It goes with deceit. It's putting on one face and having another heart, okay? Doing something hypocritically. I don't have to dwell on that, but that's, you know, that, that's easy to do. I, it happens sometimes in very little ways. You come in, some walk through the door at church, somebody says, how are you doing? Great! And you know you're not. <laughs> haven't read your Bible since last Sunday. You, you haven't really, you know, you struggle with sin all week. Uh, you just had a fight with your wife or husband or someone else, you know, and you walk through the doors, great. Well, I don't, I don't actually do any follow-up questions because I don't sometimes want to know how bad it is, you know, but I, I say that kind of sparingly. But listen, there are times we can play the hypocrite even in simple ways. But don't do this. That, that, that's one way, but the biggest hypocrisy that could ever arise is to have someone who comes to a church on Sunday and sits down and listens to a message from the Bible and everything else goes through that, partakes in the Lord's Supper, whatever, does all those works of religion, and yet in their heart they've never known the Lord. They've never known Him. They could even tell you about Him, but they don't know Him by experience. The great thing about the Gospel message is it requires a choice and it requires an experience with Him. And that's something I can't do for you. I can't do that for my children. Somebody says, how do you know you're a Christian? Well, my parents were Christians. Listen, that's not how you become a Christian. You become a Christian by trusting Christ. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you know what? They can't call out in faith to the Lord or understand who he is and have an understanding of what his word says. They cannot be saved. Romans chapter 10 makes that very clear. So that's why it's important to, to train up a child and to make sure that they understand these things. And it's from the word, okay? 
We'll always fail people as, as parents, as preachers, as individuals, whatever. But the Lord will never fail you. He'll never, ever fail you. And the gospel requires a decision. We use the word faith. The closest synonym to faith is the word trust. And it's when you put faith in something or someone, you're trusting them, right? And sometimes people don't want to trust the Lord for various things. Sometimes it's because they can't trust people. People have let them down. Boy, there's a lot of that that's going on in the world. But listen, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, as they say. Because you can always trust the Lord. He'll never let you down. Well, all evil speaking. And evil speaking goes with, you know, everything from gossip to slander. Some of those sins are named elsewhere. And that itself creates a lot of problems. There are people today that that's their entire mission is to find out the latest gossip and make sure everybody knows it. And if they have somebody that they don't like, they're, they're filled with envy in their heart, and that's the envy is right before that. They want to make sure that person looks worse so that they don't get the glory and the, you know, the preeminence. Don't be envious. By the way, there'll always be somebody that's richer than you. There'll always be somebody that's better looking than you. Hey, believe it or not, Chris. <laughs> and, and you know what? There'll always be somebody, you know, that is smarter than you. I won't say any more. But I'll, I'll say that because sometimes we say, I'm going to make myself look, make them look really dumb so that I'll look smart. That's not the way it works, okay? That's called evil speaking. And the world's filled with slanderers and backbiters and gossips. And you know what? A Christian doesn't have that, shouldn't have that. Christians can do that. But that should, that should, that's not Christ. Never. And you'll never find him doing that. So we shouldn't be like that. Well, I want to go on because we're almost out of time here this morning, believe it or not. It's gone quickly here, but, uh, and I still have about 10 pages, but it's all right. <laughs> That's called cleaning out the closet, okay? Cleaning out the closet, right? And this is yard sale season. And last week we had the yard sale. By the way, thank you, Autumn, for that. If I didn't say that last week and others that helped in that, I know Joanne, others uh, helped with the uh, yard sale that, and we kind of used the property here to do some things. And but people brought a lot of things out. They're cleaning out, and sometimes sometimes it's good stuff. Sometimes it's stuff nobody else wanted either, you know, and things like that. And we try to get rid of it in the yard sale and and all of those things. And but you know, what, let's that's good to do that. But let's do it with our spiritual life too. What's your prayer closet look like? Is it so full of junk that you can't get in it, so to speak? <laughs> you know, I realize it's a figurative closet, but you know what? Sometimes our figurative closet gets more cluttered than our actual closets, right? What's your relationship with the Lord look like? What's it like with others, by the way? And, and by the way, the first, part, the first verse that we looked at, that all deals with horizontal sins. Sins where we look left and right. Envy, hypocrisy, malice, right? That's all this way. But it affects this, the, the, the vertical. Because if you're caught up with the sins of the flesh that are listed here, they will crowd out your relationship with the Lord. And if that's the case, you know what? You, you will, it's like going to fast food and tanking up right before supper. That ever happened to any of you? Yeah, that happens. Yesterday I was coming home. I went to Bangor yesterday. I had to go down there and uh, I, I was coming back and I stopped at a gas station and I went in the gas station and, and I really, I shouldn't have done it, but I looked over and they had red hot dogs. I love red hot dogs. 
And I've been very good this week with my, you know, not overeating, not doing that. I thought I've been doing okay. And I saw the red hot dogs. <laughs> and I bought two red hot dogs. I would have bought more, but I just had a little bit of conviction of it. But for not long. And I ate the red hot dogs. And man, they were good. Man, I were good. But you know what happened? I got home. And my wife was talking yesterday. She was about to, she was getting things together for food, for supper and all that. I really wasn't hungry. And I'm confessing because she's not here in the room. I ate red hot dogs yesterday and that's why I wasn't hungry, all right? If you live for yourself and if you go and you want to fill your life with malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, evil speaking, all the other things that could go on there. One translation talks about evil behavior. Boy, that encompasses everything. And you're not going to be hungry for the Lord. Not at all. And we'll just be eating tank, you know, the junk food. Red hot dogs will catch up to me someday. All right? Remember that. Oh. He says this, okay? Uh, back up one. And this is a new a living translation. I like this. Verse 2. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. Now that's the, the expanded version of verse 2, but it's what the Greek words emphasize. I can say that. And I like that because you hear, see the end of that verse, cry out for this nourishment. Listen, all I can do is show a picture. All right? And I'll tell you what, you can almost hear that baby crying, can't you? Yeah. I almost thought about having a crying baby just playing low in the back. How long would, it la- would some of you last, right? When a baby cries, you're like, something needs to happen. And most of the times they're hungry, all right? I always dealt with the hunger part. I didn't deal with the other end, okay? My wife, that was her side of things. She was, I, amen. I was so glad she did that. But I, I did it a few times. I had to. I had the shower hose and everything sometimes. It was terrible. But I'll tell you what. When they cry and you know they're hungry, you can't ignore that. Babies cry. So what do you do? You, you give, them a, give them a bottle, right? Get them some milk. Do something like that. Now you give them too much, and this is what it looks like on Sunday morning sometimes. I look out there and I see you guys. No, uh, no but, uh, right. but you have too much in you that way. But listen, there's something nourishing about milk, isn't there? Milk does a body good, all right? A body of Christ, the, the church. If you desire the sincere milk of the word... Now what Peter's, he's not talking about just staying as babes in Christ. That's not the emphasis at all on this verse. He's saying, just as babies desire milk, the Christian should desire the Word of God. You remember when you were first saved, right? When you were first saved and you, you came to faith in Christ and He made you alive and all of a sudden you got into His Word and you were hungry for more. Talked to Dave Conley this week. I asked him if I could share with you guys a little bit. You know, he's incarcerated and, and, and he's there because of things that happened before he became a Christian. And, and, and he's there and that's why we have prisons, you know. And he's got a lot of time ahead of him in prison. But he's hungry for the Word of God. And he has another guy there too that's hungry for the Word of God. And they've been doing Bible study together. And I... I was glad to find out that I could send them some books from the publisher, directly from a publisher. So I sent him J. Vernon McGee's commentary uh, through the Bible, the five-volume set. It's about 60 bucks, and I, I sent that to him, and it got to him about a week and a half ago. 
He called me this week and he said, oh, he says, I just love that. He says, it's so simple. I can read it and understand it. And, and it takes you through the Bible. And it's just Jay Vernon McGee's uh, messages that are transcribed. They, they were originally radio messages, still broadcast around the world some 30 years after his death, by the way. He died in 1988. And it's just the simple word of God being proclaimed. And I remember talking to Dave, and uh, he said, yeah, there's another guy in here, and he borrowed one of my volumes. He wants to have, he's in a different section of the Bible. You know what excited me? Is that he's hungry for the Word of God. You know what? If you're hungry for the Word of God, the other things will fall into place. The time will go by. The sins of the flesh, those aren't as desirable. All that stuff. And you know what? We, we do well to learn from others that cry out for the Word of God. Be like that, like a, a babe desiring the Word of God. Important that we do that. And then the last verse I want to look at today is this. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. It's as if here he argues about this, this whole section of Scripture, laying aside things and putting on Christ and all that. But then he says, if. Boy, that stops you. You know what he's telling us? Paul says it elsewhere. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you be in the faith. Examine yourself. The word if there is just, it's a conditional word, right? And it says this, if indeed, if truly you have tasted that the Lord is good. You realize that it's possible to sit down at a wonderful Thanksgiving meal or some meal somewhere and, and you could to this barbecue season right you can tell i was hungry this morning okay when i was preparing but i could tell you and describe to you the food on that plate today boy it looks like a nice green salad made just light you know wonderful you know cucumbers and tomatoes that probably make your mouth water and then that chicken that piece of chicken just cooked perfect wow all right there you go have at it you know what you can't eat that i hope you don't try either okay You'll be sorry, you know, sadly disappointed because it's just a picture. And, and I, as a preacher, can give you the descriptions and the words, and I can tell you the truth of the Word of God, and that's really all I can do. I can tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ, that He's perfect in every way, that He walked this earth, He never sinned. He didn't sin because He was God incarnate, God the Son who put on flesh. He dwelt among us. The Bible says, and we behold his glory as the only begotten, or beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You can see God's graciousness, but it's a different thing to taste it. You can only taste food by putting it in your mouth. You know what? You can only taste the graciousness of God by putting your trust in him. That's the only way. If you don't do that, well, I suppose you could go through your whole life sitting and looking at a plate of food, or you could sit in a church and hear about Christ, right? I mean, I'm using that same analogy, but never experience either. And for the Christian, for, the, for what God wants, what His will is, that He wants us to be saved. Saved from what? Saved from our sin. He came and paid the price for us. He came and died in my place. Do you realize that? that the answer to evil and death and everything that's bad in my world is found and it was answered by what God did by allowing God the Son to go to the cross and suffer and die on the cross, taking all the evil 
and sinful things that man could ever come up with, and it was all placed on him. He took my punishment. Because of that, I can, I can now, by faith, he makes a transaction. He'll take my sin, he gives me his righteousness. And because of that, I can now have a place in heaven. It's that simple. I didn't do anything to earn it. He did it. He did it all. The book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 9, says it this way. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. He was. He came to this world right here, walked among us. He left the realm of angels and God's glory, heaven, and he came to our earth. And you know what? For the suffering of death. You know why Jesus Christ came to this earth? It wasn't just to show us that he was a good man or that he was, uh, uh, could walk differently in a world that was contrary. Any of those, those, that, those part of it. But you know what? He came to die. He came to suffer. Why? So that he could be crowned with glory and honor that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. You know that I can taste of the Lord and see that he's good because Christ tasted of death for me. And he tasted of death for you. And death did not hold him. One of the great things is we, we meet on the resurrection day, Sunday, okay? In Russian, where's Norman? Norman, we're studying Russian. Voskresenya, that's Sunday in Russian. And Voskresenya also says resurrection day. That's what it is. Voskresenya. And I like that. Even in Russia, they meet on Resurrection Day. You know why we call it Resurrection Day? Because Christ rose on the first day of the week. And if he didn't rise, it doesn't matter what day of the week it was, but listen, if he wouldn't have risen from the grave, the grave would have held him, and he would have tasted death for himself and himself alone, and that would have been it. But instead, he tasted death for you and for me, and he was victorious over death. And now, when I stand around someone's grave, a believer that's died, I can say with assurance, because that body's been put in the ground, someday that body will be raised up new again. And it's because of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. That's the gospel. He died for you according to the scriptures. He suffered and died. And you know what? He was buried on the third day. He rose again according to the scriptures. Do you desire God's word? And that truth? Oh, I hope so. Let's pray. God, we again come to you this morning thanking you for the fact that you have come and tasted death for everybody. And yet, Lord, we cannot taste of the grace of God unless we do so by faith and by experience. And I pray if there's anybody here today that has put that off, that before they even leave this room this morning, they would do that. Because, Lord, we know everything's really about the end of the journey. As we're here, first of all, Christ gives meaning to our life and purpose. But he offers forgiveness and a home and glory. Oh, a place that will be far better than this world can ever offer. And, Lord, I pray that Paul would understand that. And, Lord, I also ask that in this day, Lord, many in our world would come to saving faith in Christ and know who he is. And we thank you for your word. Help it to be precious to us that we would desire it and cry out like a baby would cry for milk. In Jesus' name, amen.